Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. This is Nick. You can find us at the HyperClean Specialist Group on Facebook as well as hypercleanstore.com. Let's get started today. Going to talk a little auction news for my guys listening that gave me some stuff about a BMW sale that went through. Going to give you nitwits a little bit of a uh, education on what we've been saying here. And I'm just saying that the joke because I know you guys are listening, but I got a few texts about a, a an auction on Bring a Trailer. So we're going to share that today. Going to share a little bit of the deliveries we got. We got a Badlands six-speed automatic, or excuse me, six-speed manual Bronco that arrived as well as a Bronco Raptor. I'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll get into a little bit of business stuff at the end. But let's start with auction news. So as you guys know, I purchased a 2008 BMW M3 a while ago. We've been using it on the show, not to keep talking about it, but to reference what's going on in the auction market. And so we had almost a, a 2008 M3 come up for auction on Bring a Trailer, but it, it shows you how much the market has changed. The top bid was like 25400 As many of you know, I paid 38000 for mine. The difference is mine's very low mileage. Mine's in perfect condition. This auction in particular that took place in the last few days and ended in the last few days, show us some realities around the auction market. I said probably a month or two ago that we needed to understand that the normalcy in the auction market was starting to hit. High mileage examples, which this one had over 75,000 miles. Mine, I think, just turned 39,000 miles. The condition of the car, all of those things were very negative for this particular car up at auction. And so when I got the text from, I know the guys that are listening and, and thank you for listening and, and bringing this auction and talking about it, but I got to put you in your place a little bit. This is kind of what I've been saying. So let's walk through this auction and tell you exactly what to look for, what not to look for, what, what, what matters and what doesn't matter. So I've been saying that bring a trailer and cars and bids and a lot of these auction sites, as well as in-person, this is why I don't really like Mecham or Barrett-Jackson. They're kind of very similar. When somebody wants to list a car, if it's quote-unquote collectible, they're going to push the listing out. And bring a trailer did that in this instance. And let me give you an example. This car had actually had a lot of engine work that needed to be done. The rod bearings, which is a big thing, they had done. They had replaced some parts. They had done all the right things. Why did the auction struggle? Well, number one, once you get into that 75,000 mile or what is considered a higher mileage, everything needs to be dialed in. Your interior, your exterior, uh, your engine bay needs to look clean. And so they go and they take pictures, which bring a trailer saw and didn't fix and didn't have a guy go fix it. This is the big cry for auto detailers to be involved in this type of stuff. So this guy lists the car and he's got what looks like leaking engine oil in the pictures right then and there it should have not been allowed on the site, but bring a trailer doesn't care, right? They're probably seeing listings go down a little bit. They're going to push it through. Why would they push it through? Hey man, go have your engine detailed. Is something wrong with the engine? The guy commented, no, there's nothing wrong with the engine. What happened is we left the oil cap off a little bit of engine oil got out. 
and it got on some things. Well, there was parts and pieces that it got on that didn't make any sense. So now it looks like he's lying in the auction, which I don't know if he is or not, but that's the way that it looks. And now you got a high mileage example that actually has had quite a bit of necessary maintenance work done, and he's not going to get any credit for it. Then you go to the interior. Interior wasn't in good shape. He didn't have it basically a restorative type detail done on it. The paint, he's got door dings on two different spots that he could have easily had fixed with PDR. He could have had the outside cleaned up a little bit. He didn't do any of those things. And so you took what was probably a high bid of thirty-one dollars to $33,000 with this mileage, and you reduced it down to a $25,000 top bid. This is what I've been saying. What didn't make sense during the pandemic with car, especially in the auction market, was high mileage, bad examples were getting rewarded because people had a fear of missing out. Now that it's normalized, you can't bring a 2008 M3, which is getting collectible because it's a manual transmission. You can't bring it with oil on the engine, dents in the doors, interior not looked after or at least restored, the exterior not in tip-top shape. You, you, can't, you can't expect to get top dollar. And this guy had a reserve on this car, which I can't believe bring a trailer allowed any of this. But as education, what we're seeing is a return back to normalcy. The normal thing is that high mileage, poor examples are going to go for low money. So if you're a guy that's like, I want to put one of my cars on bring a trailer. Cool. I have no problem with that. And if it's high mileage, I don't have a big problem with that. But you better have everything buttoned up because it isn't two years ago. It isn't a year and a half ago. You're not getting rewarded anymore. If I, I've had a recent offer on my car that was for more than I paid for it, not significantly more. And I like the car too much. I'm keeping the car, but I'm here to tell you something. My car's a low example that we've done some restoration work already on. I rewired some of the stereo problems to bring Bluetooth in. I've already upgraded the car. We're going to do full body paint protection film on the car, which will make it even more valuable. But the car is in great shape. The engine looks perfect. If I took photos of it today, I'd have no problem thinking I was going to make money on it. But you can't put a high mileage example on a website like Bring a Trailer and expect the suckers to keep pouring in. And the funny thing about the comment section is all these people that hang around auctions supposedly saying, oh, the market's been reset on E90 M3, blah, blah, blah. No, it hasn't. A high mileage poor example is going to get treated as such. That wasn't happening a year ago, year and a half ago. That's just the way it is. This car was fairly priced. Actually, if this guy was willing to wheel and deal, if you could get that car for 20 grand as an auto detailer and go put some work into it, put some sweat equity into it, the car would be worth more money tomorrow. Those are the realities. But the auction market, again, people look at the very top end of the market, as we've said here, and they want you to believe that that's what's going on everywhere. No. Barrett Jackson in Scottsdale, the average price was below $100,000. So we've seen the market dip in the spots that it was necessary to dip. It's not going to dip on a Carrera GT. It's not going to dip on an F40 in a big way. It may dip a little, but it's not going to dip massively. 
But every high mileage example is going to get brought back to earth where it should have been all along. And you can't look at the two or three year nonsense around the pandemic and say, you know, car prices are going crazy in the auction market. No, they're normalizing. They're normalizing. But if you still have a great example of a car, look, I know somebody who just purchased a really, really low mileage old BMW and he paid an arm and a leg to get it, six figures to get it, big six figures to get it. It's not a car worth that to me to drive it around, but to add to his collection, the car is going to be valuable in the future. Because I think it has like 2,500 original miles from like the 80s, 90, early 90s. Come on, man. It's going to be valuable. It's a good buy. But it didn't have 300,000 miles on it. And it wasn't in bad shape. And it didn't have bad pictures. And bring a trailer and cars and bids and the online auction community. They're lazy. I have no problem saying it. They should have never allowed this car on the website. And there's a host of them every day that you look at and go, how the hell did this get on the website? This thing's not well put together. This is garbage. And the guy that was trying to sell this, if he actually knew the auction market, have a, you know, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollar, nine hundred dollar detail done to the car, and the car would have presented better and you'd have made thousands more. But this is the interesting thing about auto detailing. This guy probably just doesn't know. So why didn't bring a trailer tell him? Well, their argument may be, well, I did tell them, but, you know, they can do what they want. Well, the car should have never been on the website. And by the way, it's still a great number for the situation he had. Honestly, I would have never bid over 20 for all the problems I'd have had to take care of. So the fact that he got 25.3 or 25.4 on a high bid, pretty good number for such a poor example of a car. So understand that poor examples are damaged now. And you're, they're going to be hit really hard as they already have been. And that's what we saw. So for the four guys listening to this that send me text messages that I, that I love, they're collectors of mine, uh, you're wrong. And, uh, you know, I already told you that by text, but I thought I would say it here publicly. So I always appreciate those guys, and we give each other shit about cars we bought. And uh, so I thought I'd share it here. Took delivery of... A manual transmission, four-door Bronco Badlands Edition. Pretty cool. The manual works great. It's a nice experience. Actually, probably one of the Broncos I'd like to own because of the manual transmission. But look, there's just not that many in the States with manual transmission. So it's cool to see. The manual works great. You know, it's nice and tight, easy to work with, not a heavy clutch. I really enjoyed having it in the shop. And then, as we shared in the specialist group this week, I showed you we took delivery and delivered a uh, a Bronco Raptor that we fully spec'd out for a customer in the specialist group this week. So the guy that we we helped get this Bronco Raptor is a really good friend of mine. And money's not an issue. Money's not an object. So understand that I'm just kind of saying this for me. I drove it quite a bit. I put all the first miles on it to get to get it around town and and get it registered and do all the things we needed to do. And so when I talked to him, because he he is a friend of mine more than a client, he's actually more of a friend than a client in this in this instance, which is pretty rare. We hang out, we do stuff together. We're actually friends. And he's got a Ford Raptor truck that He's had every generation from Gen 1 to this, to the newest generation. 
He's got a Tesla Plaid, and he's got a fourth car. For whatever reason, I was trying to think of it before I came on here. I forget what the fourth car is that we take care of. But anyway, money's not an object. But he's a guy that can afford the nicest cars, anything that he wants, and he continues to buy these Raptors. It's it's kind of a head-scratcher to me. So we started talking about it. In person, the spec that we gave him was the best spec you could have, okay? meaning color, combinations, go to the specialist group on Facebook to see it. It's the best one that I could design for him, but it still has some things that don't make any sense to me. Number one, it has these like Recaro racing seats in it where when if this is an off-road vehicle, they're going to be pretty damn uncomfortable off-road. No no question about it. Really nice seats. I like the seats. They're, they're basically a Recaro racing seat like Alcantara type. But, and there's a big but, I mean, it's got a really, really big middle plate of the seat right in an area you don't want it, if you know what I mean. It's very, very stiff to sit in as far as the seating. I get it. They're trying to make it aggressive and fast, but I thought it was an off-road vehicle. And so do I? would I want to ride in them if I was jumping to sand dunes or, or going rock crawling? Or I wouldn't. But this kind of shows you what Raptor, what TRX, what what all those, you know, super trucks are really about. They're about driving it on the road and looking a certain way when you drive around. They're not actually about the the capability because in a lot of cases, I truly believe I would never take this Bronco Raptor off off uh, onto a trail or and feel comfortable. It's crazy power, it's crazy torque. It, it the interior is basically like a really upscale racing feel. It's not an off-road feel. So I think from a design perspective, they're kind of off base on some of these things. And the other thing is, I told him, we were sitting there talking, we were looking at it. What is it with all the plastic on these $100,000 trucks? I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. it. It's entirely too much plastic on the exterior of these vehicles. Because if we're all being up front, most of these are never going to see a trail. Most of these are never going to be taken off-road. It's to drive around the top of the line, fast truck or fast Bronco. It's not about off-roading or going to the sand dunes or whatever. I mean, come on. Let's all just be upfront about it. And so the weird thing about Bronco Raptor to me is the fender flares because they're massive and they're swooping around the wheel and they take up a ton of space, and they're obviously cheap plastic. Now, it doesn't mean the vehicle isn't cool. It's a cool vehicle, but there's just a lot of things that don't add up to me for a six-figure car, and this has kind of been my argument about Ford Raptor. This has been my argument about TRX. This has been my argument about, again, now Bronco Raptor. I get it, man. They're really fast, and, and they're really cool, I guess, in a sense, but Let's just say you spend 100, 125, 150 on some of these vehicles. You can just get nicer shit than doing these things. And again, it's his money. And 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 that's why I said we're friends. We talked about it. He's like, oh, you know, you should get one of these. And I'm like, yeah, no, nah, man, it's not my thing. I I don't look at trucks as six figure items. I think they're nice. I think Ford Raptor and TRX are nice. I think that that this Bronco Raptor was really nice. 
hundred and plus thousand dollars, it's not that nice. And making 800 horsepower, 700 horsepower, it's really not that crazy anymore. It doesn't take a ton of engineering to make 700 horsepower these days, especially when you got like a lucid making 1100 out of the gate. And so the truck thing just isn't my thing. I can, I can look at this Raptor and go, this Bronco and go, I'm really glad he got it. I never seen the guy so happy to get a car. And that's what I said, man, as long as you like it, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And so him and I talked and, and, and he loves it. He, he can't wait to drive it around. I've already gotten some text uh, last couple of days, how much he's enjoying it. And I just write back that that's fucking awesome, man. I'm really glad that you're having that kind of time. But as a car guy, I just can't wrap my head around why I'd want a TRX. If you've ever driven one and we've driven, a, I've driven a bunch at this point, it's nice, but going stoplight to stoplight and having the, the, the truck jerk around because it's not that smooth off the line or shimmy when it hits a small bump. Cause again, none of these vehicles handle small bumps very well. I don't know. It seems like a lot of money for a hundred thousand plus dollars. And so I'm glad when guys like them, but here's the weird thing. The, these are only being sold to like a certain group. Usually it's like that 45 to, to 60 year old guy who's going to drive it to and from his law office or to and from his chiropractor office. And it really just, those are the only people we really see. Oh, I, I had a TRX that just got purchased by a young guy that I know. And that was probably the first time I saw anybody under 30 buy the TRX. Uh, and for that matter, most of the time Raptors are in those guys that are 40 plus years old. I don't know, man. It just doesn't speak to me, but I find it fascinating how we keep making this. Well, Raptors great off road and TRX is great off road and this, and, and I go, Jim over here is driving it to his law office. I mean, that that's, that shit's not going off road. And so that's what makes Bronco Raptor funny to me. I think they kind of admitted it to themselves with the way the interior is designed. Yeah. That, this shit's not going rock crawling. Let's just make it the way we want to make it which I think is what they did. I just don't, they don't resonate with me, right? Like I understand that they're nice. I understand that the Ford Raptor is a nice truck, but if I don't need a truck, I'm not buying a truck. And so him and I had a really, really great conversation. I I'm so ecstatic for him because he loves it so much and he's been into Raptors for so long. And that's what I want to get across to guys going back to the auction I'm going to say the same thing now, which is you need to buy things you like. Forget what I say. Forget what your neighbor says or your brother says. Forget what you think is going to be valuable at some point because most likely you're guessing wrong. And just buy something because you like it. Don't buy something because somebody's telling you, well, you should buy this. You should do this. You should do that. You should, you should be this way. Um, don't, don't buy things for the sake of buying them. Okay. Because somebody tells you it could be valuable Buy the shit you like the fact he likes this and he's so happy with it. That's why we're glad to be involved with it. And that's the way cars should be looked at Buy them for one simple reason, because you personally like it. And that's the best piece of advice you'll ever get around cars or in this case, trucks. Let's finish today talking about tough clients. I had a pretty interesting 
issue over the weekend, last weekend on Saturday, where I had somebody call my business phone six times in a matter of minutes, you know, let it ring. We didn't pick up, let it ring. We didn't pick up. So they just kept hanging up and calling back on the sixth time. I get this really, really bad voicemail. Well, I guess I'll send in an email hung up. Okay. I don't return calls on the weekend at this point in my career. If I was just getting my career started for the first five years of my business, I worked all seven days. So honestly, you have to make that judgment for where you are in your career and your ownership. But I worked a lot of weekends for a lot of years and we just work Monday through Friday. Now we've, we've pretty much solidified that. So there's red flag number one, right? This woman was not very polite in how she handled Saturday. So then I get an email from the website. She goes into this big, long story. It's super negative uh, about the situation she's in with her car. And there's the second red flag. So Monday morning hits, and I always have a list of the calls we missed. And so we're going to call everybody back and follow up on Monday. It's usually somewhere around noontime. You know, between 10 a.m. and noon, we'll get to, you know, we need to get the day rolling, get some things going. But I, I always return phone calls. So I get a text early in the morning, like 9 o'clock. It's Monday morning now. I'm expecting a phone call. I need to talk to somebody about my car. So I got three red flags before I've ever talked to this person. It's really easy to say to yourself, you know what? I'm not calling this person back. It's really easy to say, I'm going to walk away. Well, if I'm just in business, you know, less than five years, I can't just walk away from leads. There's too many people that are telling you, you got to hunt a certain client. We tell you that here, but you need to do it in context. We've all dealt with bad clients. We've all done a bunch of disaster detailing to get to the point where we've, we've wiggled our way and built a clientele that we want to deal with. But to, sit, to, to think that at the start of your business, you're never going to do business with somebody like this lady, it's just not realistic. A lot of people need work. You need to bring in the work. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I got three red flags before I've ever talked to this woman. I joked around with Marty. This is this lady's going crazy because I talked to him in the morning and, and then I got to return a phone call and I said, uh, ma'am, how can I help you today? Because here's the thing, folks, everyone's a lead until they're not. Everyone deserves a phone call until they don't. And this is sales 101 that you don't let any lead go out the door without talking to them. And so when you're running your business, you need to be thinking like a salesperson first and foremost. And I'll get to that a little bit later. And so I said, what can I help you with? She proceeds to tell me the story she wrote an email and there's a, she's blaming I've had hip surgery. I've had this, I've had that. My son and his kids were in that car for a year and a half. We have, she called it petrified hamburger that basically he's been there in there for a year. Folks, it's a disaster detail. It's a, a car that's been getting destroyed by a family for a year and a half. There's food, there's mold. I'm taking from her story that we're in a bad situation. And so now we have to have a conversation, right? 
this is sales 101. I said, perfect. Uh, I got your email. I got your phone calls. I understand you have a disaster detail. And now I go into question mode. You know, how, how bad is it? What do you need done to the car in your estimation? What are you most concerned about? The 20 questions, so to speak. And so now we're going to have a real discussion, right? And, and what I know going in is that I'm in for a disaster detail. And as it came out more, it was even more disastrous. And so I told her, I said, okay, I really want to help you. Here are the things that I think you'll need done, you know, steam, extraction. Uh, you'll probably be looking at eight plus hours on this car because you also need to have the exterior cleaned up or you're going to have your paint being bad. I mean, you need everything. The car needs to be revitalized. I said, there's two things that I want to tell you when working with us. Number one, I'm about eight weeks out. I can't get to this car for eight weeks. I don't have any room in my schedule. Secondly, let me go ahead and give you a price. The price to get this car back right interior and exterior is going to be about $1,600. Big number. But at this point in time, I had calmed her down. We're having a reasonable conversation. I've gone into education mode. I've started to sell her on the things that need to take place. And she's very easy to deal with. Now, all the red flags are still there. I'm not ignoring those. But I also have priced in a little bit of those red flags with my pricing. I knew she couldn't wait eight weeks. Okay. And that sucks because I think I could have landed the work if I could have gotten to her within 72 hours, truthfully. Not that I really want to do that kind of work, but we could have definitely done the work and we would have definitely gotten $1,600. But by the time we got off the phone, she was appreciative. She was calm. She was a reasonable human being. That is sales 101. And that's not something I knew 10 plus years ago. That My job isn't to just... I profiled her. I judged her pre-conversation, which you should do, but I didn't go in pissed off or mad. I went in there with, okay, I need to try to sell this woman on our way of doing things and, and take what I know is going on here and get her pointed in the right direction. If she could have waited eight weeks, we would have done the work, but she was going to get back in the car. She needed it within a day or two. We couldn't make it happen. Didn't have anybody to do it. We had the shop was full. My guys were full. There was nowhere to go. So I want to take this time to talk about sales. There are a lot of people in my personal life, in my professional life, through HyperClean, through VR, doesn't matter, who believe that they're not in sales. I don't want to do sales. I'm not a salesman. I'm a detailer. I don't want to do sales. Then you don't want to be in business. Two things trump all else, marketing and sales. Because if I never sell anything, then I never have anything to detail. So if you've detailed a car for money, you've sold somebody. So why is there such a negative look on sales? And, and I started to think about it, and I, th I thought to myself, we all think negatively about sales because usually we're brought up by a family member 
uh, you know, somebody that says, you know, I hate salesmen. I hate salesmen. Salesmen are the worst. Those types of things. And the truth is that nothing in this world business-wise happens until something is sold. Steve Jobs had to sell the world on the iPhone and the iPod. Bezos had to sell investors and everyone else on Amazon to get it off the ground. So if the richest guys to ever exist in history had to sell somebody, then I think a detailer probably needs to accept that they're going to have to sell somebody. Just logic. But we have such a negative connotation to sales. And the people that have a negative connotation say, I don't, I'm not a salesman. I'm not going to sell anybody. You know, sales, sales, salesmen are the worst. They just don't understand how the economy works. And I know extremely smart people that I've had this discussion with. Guys that were operation leaders at Fortune 500 companies when they have 50, 60,000 employees underneath them telling me why sales is the problem. Oh, you know, sales, you could get rid of sales at this company tomorrow. I've had this exact conversation. I said, oh, okay. If one of your products never get, if your products never get sold to somebody, what do you have to do in the factories? What are you going to put together? It's an interesting question, isn't it? If you never sell a detail, how many cars are you going to detail? Zero. Let's use the funny one that we all joke about. If you're a paint correction specialist and you never sell anybody on using your services, what's it matter how good you are? Having this negative connotation to sales is holding back tons of people in the economy because they just don't accept how the world works. Nobody told you to be a sleazy salesperson. I don't sell in an aggressive, sleazy way. But if you really analyze sales, what is it? Educating somebody on the way that you do things that can help them enjoy their car. What's salesy about that? Now, you need to know some tricks and some ways to say things and to word things and to push a conversation. That's when you become a great salesperson. But you're not, nothing, just because the word sales comes up doesn't mean you're some sleazy used car salesman. The way I sell is not sleazy. I sell what I would do in your situation if that were my car. And I go on about educating our processes and procedures and why we do things. And I don't use a whole, whole bunch of industry-only slang. I make sure to do it in language everyone understands. But a lot of times in, in my life, and especially a lot of times since I've been a business owner, I hear a lot of people's opinion about sales, and it's just not factually correct. They got some idea of what sales means that's not even true. And so if you're a person that's struggling and you're going to your 10th ceramic coating installation uh, training, maybe go to a sales training instead of a 15th ceramic coating training that you don't need or to go learn how to do something that you can't sell. I got to really think about why we have such a negative connotation to sales. 
And it's a lot of people that we grew up around telling you how bad salespeople are. I've yet to find that many bad salespeople in my life that I've done business with. I've had some things happen, but minor. A car salesman's never taken advantage of me because I still had to sign on the dotted line, so I don't feel like he really did all that much. We get into these weird situations where when you step back and realize how bad the information is around sales, you realize that you just have the wrong theory about sales. We do a ton of sales at VR. We do a ton of sales at HyperClean. I don't ever do anything salesman-y. I don't do anything snake oil. I just tell people exactly how I see things working. And I educate them on our belief systems and our processes and procedures. And magically, it's worked out. But I've never had a negative connotation to sales. And if you're a business owner, you only have one choice, to be great at sales and grow your business, or the other way is never really make any real money. There isn't two options. You're going to have to sell somebody. If Steve Jobs had to sell some people, you're going to have to sell some people. And that's where you could have a real dividing line of if you want to be a business owner or not. If you feel like you never want to sell somebody and you're so anti-sales, then go be a an auto detailing technician for somebody that's an owner that does like to sell. And it doesn't mean you have to love it the day you start it. I was a very introverted guy most of my life. I don't find it easy to come on the podcast, believe it or not. I don't find it easy to talk to customers face-to-face -face a lot of times when I'm trying to discuss selling them on what we do. But I've gotten more comfortable with it because I've had a more positive view on it. Because I don't view it as selling. I view it as us educating the consumer about what we do. And in turn, I'm going to sell them on what we do. I don't run away from, I'm going to have to collect money from somebody. Stop saying, I'm here and I'm building a relationship with somebody. No, you're selling them. You're selling them on your way of doing things. And it's okay. It's not a negative. So let me prove it to you of mostly where this stuff comes from. So I have a family member who I love and respect. It's a great guy. He's in the trades. He's an electrician. And we're sitting at dinner one night, and he's Mr. Anti-Salesperson. Went to this place, and they tried to sell me. Salesmen are this, salesmen are that, blah, blah, blah. You know, that guy, which you guys have all heard. Maybe you're that guy. I don't know. Maybe you got a family member you, you'll see when I say this. Well, he's in the trades. And he goes on for like five, ten minutes. And finally, he looks at me. He goes, you know what I mean? I said, no, I don't know what you mean. This point, I was seven, eight years into my business ownership. I knew the reality of the economy. I was now educated for myself. He was completely wrong. So let me walk you through, even as a technician, an electrician in this, you're still reliant on sales. So what project are you working on right now, Uncle Bob? Oh, we're doing this uh, big building for this developer. I said, cool. I said, somebody sold that land to the developer. He goes, yeah, I reckon they did. I said, okay, there's one sale that took place. 
So then the developer, when he got sold that, had to go and sell the bank or whoever his financing arm was to buy the land. There's the second sale. We haven't even got anywhere near you starting the electrical. You following me? He goes, yep. You can see his head start to drop. I said, okay. Now you'll need an architect and an engineering firm to do some geotechnical, some design work, and to build a portfolio of how this building is going to be built. So the developer is now going to seek out the right architect and the right engineering firms to start building the buildings. So when he goes out, these architectural firms will start selling him on why they're the right one. Engineering firms, the same. We got even more sales, Uncle Bob. Said, you follow? Said, yeah. So, okay. I said, okay, Uncle Bob. Now that we've had like four or five major sales already before you've even gotten there, the building is designed, the blueprints are done. The developer's got to hire a general contractor. They'll put it out for bid. You know how most of those bids are run? I said, here's what actually happens. They put it out to bid, let's say to three or four to five guys, if it's private money. Let's say everybody comes in around 100 million. Whoever has done a great job of selling that developer as a friend and whatever, the developer will usually call him and say, hey, man, everybody's at 100 million. You're at 105 million. If you can do it for 99 million, we'll go ahead and give you the job. How did that happen? Sales. So now the GC comes out. General contractor's ready to start. He's going to need a bunch of subcontractors. How do you think he hires those people? It's not just numbers. It's not just numbers, Uncle Bob. It's relationships and sales that have been going on for years and decades. And now your electrical company, whoever your owner is of that company, has had to sell that GC that they can get the job done. He goes, yeah. I said, and now you have a job at that development. Here's a tradesman making somewhere around 150 bucks an hour with his experience. He makes a lot of money. He's a super successful guy. He's completely clueless on how the world actually works. A guy I respect the hell out of, but he's wrong. Just like last Saturday, I said, we need to separate the statistics around small business from people's opinions. We need to understand facts. So before you say you hate sales, understand that nothing happens in business without it. It is the number one thing that drives everything, marketing and sales, marketing and sales. And I proved to a guy who's been in the business world, who's been in the trades since he was 18 years old. He was in what? At that time, probably 58, 40 years, and he didn't know how it worked. Or maybe he never stepped back to say, oh, okay, all of these things have to happen to make things work. Don't judge sales because somebody told you that sales was bad. Just understand that sales is a lot different than the way people tell you it is. And honestly, I have more fun today doing sales calls than anything else. I didn't start out that way. I'm just more comfortable now. I've just done it a million times. So you're not going to be comfortable right out of the gate. 
and don't run away from people with red flags. Learn how to sell them and calm them down and come around to your way of thinking. That is when you'll have real success. But the funny thing is everybody sells. I don't care if you're a carpenter or you're an electrician, you got to sell your employer that you can actually do the work every day that you're there. My guys on my team here, they wake up every day having to sell me that they're the right people for the job. All of us do sales. Don't listen and have a negative connotation to something that's the major driver of the economy. I hope this helps. Everybody have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.